This episode of Asians Represented actually has a sponsor. Uh, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by the amazing folks at Hero Forge. Hero Forge was actually an early sponsor of Asians Represent, and I I love Hero Forge. If you don't know what Hero Forge is, Hero Forge is an easy to use design tool that lets you actually build your perfect miniature online using like fully like 3D in depth character created creation tools like right in your browser. You don't need to know how to use something like Blender. You don't need any 3D modeling skills. You just need your imagination because you could choose from dozens of like character ancestries and thousands of parts oh, to yeah. literally bring your character to life. Like I literally went to Hero Forge and I just made Guan Yu in Hero Forge. There's so I many piece options. I, I, I've made uh, minis for my entire party, I think last year. Hero oh, Forge, so many so many Hero Forge is awesome. And not only can you just design <laughs> the character of your dreams in Hero Forge, but they also offer them in a variety of materials, including now color options. So you can download in a variety of plastics, but also bronze, which is really cool. So if you want to be extra and design your D&D character and get it printed in bronze, you can do that with Hero Forge. Or if you have a 3D printer, you can actually download your model files and you can just print it as many times as you want. So this holiday season, you can gift the gift of a custom miniature with Hero Forge between today, so November 18th, and the 28th of November. You can get $5 off a physical 3D printed miniature that's basic premium and color plastic alongside bronze uh, by using the coupon code LOOTDROP. And I'll put a link in the chat and our show notes if you folks are interested. Uh, this is not combinable with other offers and or promotions and subject to change and or cancellation without notice. But I absolutely love Hero Forge. They are, you know, they make mini designs really fun and accessible to folks. And, you know, they are actually a really small team based out of like the United States. They're super nice people. Um, so check them out and thank you for your uh, support, Hero Forge. Um, now, that said, yeah, I had said earlier that <laughs> our guest today was like one of the OG Asians represent guests. And I wasn't lying. I had to look back. I looked back at her old, old feed and stuff, and I was like, look, there was like, when, when was he like on the show? <laughs> it's March, been a while. <laughs> March 30th, 2019 was the last time you, Brother Ming, were on the podcast. Oh and we talked about print and play fan games and the magical girl genre. That was the, that was the topic. And oh, man. I just remember having so much fun doing that episode. And I saw on Twitter, I think like, two weeks ago you had posted about an upcoming like a big kickstarter campaign that you've got going out for an original game because yes. you know like i know you as like the master of fan games i like, <laughs> like you are the master of fan games there's like no question about it but when i saw you tweeting about you know this the stress of an upcoming kickstarter for an original game i was like I, I DM'd you and I was like, yo, are you okay? Can can I help you in any way? <laughs> Not with the design, but like, do you want to just come on the show? And you were just like, hell yeah, let's do this. And now we're here. Um, now, we have a lot more listeners since, you know, 2019. And some of them may have, you know, joined Asians Represent and started listening to us because we're masochists and decided to, you know, read away until Adventures Live. Um, so some may not know who you are. Who are you, Brother Ming? Okay, Brother Ming. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a board game designer and now publisher. Uh, I Yeah, like you said, I'm probably most famous, most well-known for making these dumb little fan games. 
back in, I think, 2017, I made a Fire Emblem fan game that was just based on their mobile game, Fire Emblem Heroes. I mm. took all the characters, put them on cards, gave them all stats and abilities, and you could play them onto a grid and then make them kiss, as all fan games should do. Uh, and it was just, it was great. I, I was really happy with it. Because before that, I had already been designing board games, I, like, just for fun, just with my friends. Uh, and then I was like, oh, I'm, I, you know, I can't afford to keep spending money on this gotcha game, so why don't I just print all the characters out on cards and I can own all of them. Uh, I should have done that with Princess Connect. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I uploaded it to the Fire Emblem Heroes subreddit, and you know people really liked it, and it was a print and play, and then I put it on the tabletop simulator, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then I got picked up by Kotaku, and then uh, that kind of like blew it up, and then people were like, "The game is actually solid," uh, which I was like, really, I was like, "Whoa, thank you!" I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't think anybody would actually like the game. It's a, it's a weird feeling. Uh, in retrospect, they were all lying. That game sucked. It was garbage. <laughs> Absolute and complete garbage. Uh, <laughs> some of those guys... Who but it had really pretty that, art. But it had really pretty yeah, art. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a gotcha game art. Uh, the, some of those guys have stuck with me, actually, all this time. And they, they, they will disagree with me. They'll say the game was pretty solid back then. But it was garbage. It was not playable. Barely playable, in my opinion. Uh, but despite all that, that, that kind of just stuck with me. And then I was like, okay, I, I can... I'll just keep making games for fun. This is a this is a cute, quirky way to make some games without needing a ton of art skills. Uh, and also, I can just keep sharing them as free print and plays. Like everybody can just download yeah. them. They can print it. They can do whatever they want. Uh, <clears throat> at one point, I was even printing them myself and uh, gluing. I got really good Cutting. at print and plating. I got, yeah, I, like I had the cutters. I had the corner cutters. Well, you said I, you're into paper craft. Yeah, I I still am. I still do the little uh, paper. Actually, paper theater. Uh, these are really cool. Uh, they're called paper theater uh, box kits. Oh, I've uh, seen those. These are super fun. I, I have a bunch of these, and I made a bunch of these. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, at the time, I got really into print and play. I, I all the all the tools, spray glue. I have like I like ten types of glue in my home for different types of paper. I had a bunch of different <laughs> stock materials. I bought two printers to help me print on better materials. So I, I started offering my print and play. It was like, hey, if you don't want to print and play yourself, you know, I'll put it. I'll assemble it and ship it to you. Uh, so I got really into it. Uh, and then a couple years later, around 2019, actually when, when I was talking to you, was when, uh, oh, wow, I think it was right after we had that podcast. Uh, an artist, Soren, Midoriyazu Hugs, found, uh, uh, not found, uh, he had been a fan of my games. And then he saw that I was working on the Fire Emblem fan game again, and kind of like redesigning it because I realized the game was crap, and I was like, I just redesigned that, now it that's board. Anna's roundtable. Yeah, so he he found it and tweeted about it. He didn't tag me or anything, and through the magic of Twitter, I saw him tweeting about it, and I was like, whoa, uh, you know, I let me reach out, like DM him. I was like, hey, you know, uh, you like the game, you also draw art. Do you want to just like you know? Use I can use some of your art instead of using the art from the game. Uh, I'll just use some of your art. We can make some like custom cards that way. And he was super down for it. He got really excited. We jumped on Discord together, and then he sort of like, not just me. Let me. I have a bunch of friends who really like this game. Let me ask them. And within a week, he had dragged together a team of like a dozen artists. Okay, so <laughs> this is this is interesting because because you and I are friends on Facebook. 
And I, mm. I remember very vividly remember just seeing this like flood of fucking Fire Emblem content. Yeah. Being the amount of fan art that we got yeah. was insane. It was just like this giant floodgate had been opened where before that moment. Yeah, because yeah, this was after I went on the podcast because then we became yeah. friends on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, basically, during that like three month period, I went from somebody who was just making the games into a print play to somebody who all of a sudden knew like 50 artists who were like, I want to draw fan art for your game. And it was just a crazy floodgate. And we got so many submissions. And uh, yeah, so that is what then turned into Anna's Roundtable. Like we we like brainstormed what to call it. Like uh, like she he designed like the, uh, the mascot, mm. uh, our, our custom Anna, Roundtable Anna, uh, who's, you know, got the like casino vibes board game vibes very very cute and uh yeah it was just it was a crazy process and that's kind of how where i'm most well known i'm the creator of anna's roundtable uh you know worker with hundreds of fan artists and uh creator of dumb weird fan games (laughs) oh i I think it's more than that i don't want you to like reduce your accomplishments and (laughs) the impact that you have to be like i just do dumb dumb games I, I think what you're doing is like really well, cool because I need I need a I need a downplay it so that I don't get noticed. That's really what it is. Oh yeah, sure. Like, <laughs> these, oh, these games fucking suck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't worry about it. No, don't are... worry about it. Don't worry about it. Especially yeah, like, that, I mean, that, don't, you know, you know. Nintendo is like they are like hardcore too, more hardcore than like others. You know, you don't mess with Nintendo. You don't mess with the mouse. Those are the two. Uh, those are the two companies. Don't mess with uh, when it comes to Go, goes and makes a Fire Emblem game. You know, but <laughs> Fire Emblem is the weird one. It's like it's like the step that nintendo refuses to acknowledge i think uh but it's, it's the like, only really successful mobile game that they have this is true this is true but it is still i think maybe it's because it's mostly operated by intelligent systems but fire emblem is the only game owned by nintendo that has a super vibrant fan scene like fan merch scene yeah there's yeah, a absolutely. ton of fire Emblem fan merch and there's a ton of fire emblem fanzines and so when anna's roundtable first began it only really happened because there was a huge Fire Emblem fanzy community, which for those of you who don't know what a fanzine is, it's basically just a collection of artists who come together for a particular IP or fandom uh, like Fire Emblem. And so all these artists will come together to draw prints. They will draw merch like, you know, enamel pins, acrylic charms, standees to stuff like uh, handkerchiefs, tote bags, you know, washi tape, to even weirder things like socks, uh, you know, coasters, like everything. There's a Fire together, Emblem. <laughs> making, making all their, their Vograce merch. Everything. Yeah, exactly. There's a yeah. Fire Emblem tea zine where they made Fire Emblem Three Houses Inspired Tea that came with Fire Emblem uh, or fan art on coasters oh, and a Fire so cool. Emblem uh, teaspoon. I have it. It's gorgeous. And so there's this really, really vibrant fanzine community where all these artists are making Fire Emblem merch. And it hasn't been shut down by Nintendo. It's like the one. It's like the one fandom Nintendo owns. They're just like, eh, whatever. But do you think that <laughs> Nintendo's probably like, ah, uh, like we don't have to worry about them because it's like they're kind of like keeping the fandom alive in a way. I think so because Fire Emblem, despite being super like, big, it feels niche. It it feels right? very niche. A because like you have to be into that kind of game. Mm. It's a very specific kind of game. It's the and only then, Nintendo game that's like a hardcore tactics game it's a hardcore tactics game but at the same time it's like most people i think most 
gen- like the wider Nintendo sort of fan base really only know about Fire Emblem because of Smash Bros. Yeah, yeah. The 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 most popular Fire Emblem game is Smash. It's <laughs> it's true. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 that's the thing. It's like, oh, I love Smash Bros. Like, oh yeah, Roy and Marth. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, and they've never played Fire Emblem before. And, but never. Uh, it's 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 really weird. Like, uh, so yeah, I think just purely because Nintendo still treats Fire Emblem as this like kind of like this other entity that they own yeah. but it's like oh it's it's a it's one of our more niche ips when it's not I'm yeah huge. it's it's massive it's massive like actually it's really funny i have a crom figure next on a i have a, the same ikea glass shelf as you uh <laughs> next to my desk i've got a crom figure uh, i love fire emblem awakening um, oh, and i'm actually replaying the first the, the first fire emblem game that came to game boy advance right now on my phone totally legally Oh um, uh, yeah, for sure. You definitely yeah, totally <laughs> this, this this podcast is brought to you by Hero Forge, not Nintendo. Um, <laughs> so we're good there. Um, but yeah, you know what? I honestly, I love seeing your your passion for fan games, right? Because it really like brings the community together. It really brings it the community huge, together. Yeah, it's, crazy. it's it's an exercise in like large scale collaboration, right? It's an exercise in like game design from the shadows, but it's also been like prepping you for react which we're going to talk about today yeah it's taught me all the lessons i need to learn to be a publisher basically exactly right (laughs) you know it's really funny and this is completely unrelated but i had to say it when i was like prepping for this and like you know go through socials and your website just to make sure all was good my girlfriend like literally looks over my shoulder and i'm on your website because you know you have that your your avatar of yourself and my hair fucking fucking hate this my girlfriend's like Oh, did you copy his hair? <laughs> copy his hair? My girlfriend, oh, no. my, my, my girlfriend fucking thinks that I'm like a Brother Ming fanboy <laughs> because of the way I used to have my hair. And I was like, oh, first man. of all, like, I did, I Asian, basic Asian hairstyle 101. First of all, like, I committed to the, also with the color, like, I committed to the full color. And then later on, it became like, like Brother Ming's. So, no, but also, I am a fanboy of Brother Ming's. I oh, think man. I think you're great. Now, before we dive further into f- sort of fan projects and board game design, I do want to clarify something with the audience. Uh, prior to actually starting the recording, we both were, real- were like, oh, yeah, people probably don't understand, like, where the Brother Ming moniker comes from. Oh, yeah. And I actually had a really interesting interaction. Um, the-, the timing was-, was funny, actually, at work. I'm going to get my camera to refocus on me. Uh, oh, well, it'll it'll come back. Um, but anyways, I had a really interesting conversation at work with one of my coworkers, and she had like just gotten off a call with a client. And she was like, Daniel, I think this like clients in a cult because he insisted <laughs> he come on camera. He he insisted on having all of his employees call him brother something. And I was like, my, you know, like my coworker is, is like white. And I was like, religious way to say, yeah. So I was like, well, there could be a couple of reasons for this. And the timing was perfect because you had just agreed to come on the podcast again to do this. Um, So I was like, you know, it could, could be a couple of different things. It could be religious. Uh, I, I, it could be, you know, are they Asian? Because, you know, in like, in like Chinese culture, you know, you got your aunts, your uncles, your brothers, your sisters, like it's a really common thing. And so I went to have this like whole Slack thread explaining like all these examples of different reasons why somebody might want to have other people in their business call them brother or sister. 
before this could potentially be a cult. I'm like, yeah, you know what? It could totally also be a cult. <laughs> it, it might be. It might do also they, be a cult. Do but, they host a really, uh, you know, uh, eccentric Chinese dance show across the country once a year? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, let's not even go into that because we don't want those people coming after us. I don't, I don't want those people coming after us. Um, it's, it's about that time of year too when we're starting to see those ads on the show. Oh, yeah. I'm just putting it out there. Shenyun person listening to Asian represent. No shade. No shade. Okay. Actually quick. Have you been to any of those shows before? I have not. I actually, I actually went to one. It's Ooh. actually really impressive. They're it actually lo- incredibly gorgeous. <laughs> it looks very impressive, yeah. but, but like the thing is what you know about what they are. Yeah. Just close your eyes during those two weird acts. And then the rest you're like, Whoa, this is pretty cool. <laughs> it's just like go and go and play like Genshin on your phone or something. Yeah. Um, but like for for you, the the brother and brother Ming mm-hmm. is a cultural thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, it's Mingu because I'm like when I started getting into the fan games, um, I had I had aged out. I think out of the fandom. I I just turned thirty this year, so I'm like you know my hairline's receding. I'm getting I'm getting my back's always hurting. Uh, I'm old. I feel like oh I'm old. I'm older than you. I know you are. I know you are. Not by much. Uh, but it it was a uh, it was just funny because like so many of the artists are pretty young. They're like you know mostly early twenties. Uh, Soren, the the lead artist for Andrew Roundtable, who did all the mm. uh, he did all the cover art and stuff. Uh, I think he's only twenty. Wow, is he twenty five now? When I met him, he was like twenty three. So I, <laughs> he might be twenty six now. I don't know. Actually, I should ask. Uh, so yeah, like I, I was just like, okay, it's it's uh, pretty common for people to in Chinese to call me Mingu, uh, Mingu Mingu, which just means <clears throat> brother, brother Ming, but Gu specifically means older brother. Uh, and so. I, that just became a moniker uh, because that's just what you call somebody who you're close with, but is a little bit older than you. Uh, and if they're a lot older than you, then you call them Uncle Ming. Like, uh, and and now now the joke is I, I am now Uncle Ming because <laughs> you're, you're gonna have an entire line of games is Uncle Ming games and yeah, 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 yeah. Ming games <laughs> different, different audiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> here's, uh, here's the thing: it's like I to me, it's like when I'm like, oh, brother Ming, I'm like, okay, I get it, like. I totally get it. But there's that added layer, and I don't know if this is intentional or not, of the entire process of making these fan games that kind of really goes well with the whole Brother Ming thing. Because this isn't just for like family, it's for like people who are like close to you. It's like your your neighbors, like um, mm. that sort of thing. But you know, hearing about the process of like, you know, making the, you know, the the not fire emblem game. <laughs> It's like it makes a lot of sense to me when when I think about it. It's like you are like the older brother to all these artists who are kind of contributing to this project. Yeah, yeah, it's it's wild. I I there now there are a couple artists who are my age or older. The lead artist for Genshin Taro is my age, Daniel uh, Daniel Dung. He's also Chinese, and they're working with a lot of Asians. I think we just end up uh, attracting each other for one reason or another. <laughs> It, it look it's how it works even at like cons too right you see like yeah you're just yeah. like oh who, it was who like hey what's up yeah let's i should i know you do i know you do i already know you literally <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally at at D live 2019 so like months after we had met it was like one of like the whitest events ever and i show up <laughs> and then for so somehow 
all the Asian people just just congregated, and <laughs> for some reason, every single one of them was an Asian representative. There you go. And, and didn't You're know a beacon who... of your our community, to be entirely honest. But, but it but it was like we just kind of <laughs> gather. Like my first Gen Con, I remember going, and every time I saw an Asian person, I was like, "What's up?" Because <laughs> there's so few, so yeah. few Asian people. Just like I was like. I feel like we should be friends. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we should get to know each other. But it's also like when one of us wins, we all win. Yeah. Like, I, I met the Feast, uh, dim, dim, feast of Dim Sum. Uh, Hot Banana. They make the Feast of... Feast Up. That's the name of the game. Steam Up. up. Steam Up. Steam, steam Up. up. Oh, with the, with the little with yeah, the tray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I met them at, uh, at Gen Con. And they were, just, they were like, oh, yeah. I had been like I had been following their work, and I was like, hey, "Yeah, I'm excited to get my copy." And they're like, "Oh yeah, we 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 had already kind of known about Brother Ming." And I was like, "Oh great, let's get food." Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, "It's like eventually the the yeah the Asian population in the board game industry is pretty small, which is you know I'm not complaining too much. There's definitely even less represented groups, but uh, yeah. it, it is it is small enough where we'll have heard of each other one way or another. Like it's yeah, and the thing is like you you you. <laughs> help each other out yeah, you yeah boost each other and you know you make sure everybody gets their wins right my uh my kickstarter page is basically filled with quotes and previews from mostly asians like i i like commissioned shelf side to do our preview review video i have uh you know watch it played and uh you know stella from maple university do the how to oh, play that's video. Sick. i mean and i'm gonna back quotes. it i can't wait yeah. i'm gonna back it i I typically don't like to back a lot of Kickstarter because I don't like to wait. Oh, you got to back mine. I have no but idea I got to back yours. It might not exist. <laughs> no, no, I got to back yours. I got to back yours. I'm I'm really excited about about React. I'm also super excited because it's been... I'm going to have your website open for a really long time because I was like, do I buy this? Do I buy this? I want to know about <laughs> Genshin Tarot. I got to know about it. Oh, it's we're so close. I just got the proof for uh, the physical art book. Uh, for my manufacturer, it's gonna ship by March. I'm like very confident we'll ship. I'm very confident it's gonna arrive to me before Chinese New Year. So, uh, you're you can you can buy once once it's in stock, it'll ship immediately. That'll be even okay. Better. Awesome. Can you tell me about it though? I'm super yeah, curious because yeah. like that I know you like Fi- Fire Emblem was like your thing, and I know you're a Genshin fan. Like I literally see the little venti. Uh, <laughs> I see your little the little figures behind you. But like yeah, I want to know like. I want to know, like, there's Barbara, um, and it's Fish, but like, I want to know, like, what what is the game? Because so it's interesting because it's like because it's like a it's an Asian game combined with tarot, which is like European. Well, you know, or is it tarot anime, with more of the like anime the aesthetic fandom, sense? The anime fandom loves to use tarot and slap card captors, card captors. Yeah. For no reason, and that's kind of the uh, that's kind of the anime aesthetic we've adopted. Uh, because okay. why not? <laughs> it's in, it's in everything. It's in cyberpunk for some reason. It's in. in <laughs> uh, okay, that makes a lot of it. sense. Because did you see those Full Metal Alchemist tarot cards? That, that oh, I, I know exactly which set you're talking about. I'm just, uh, I really regret not buying it. And now there's a couple of really pretty fire emblem tarot uh, fan projects actually uh three houses tarot was huge i think they sold like five thousand copies i haven't played it yet i haven't played three houses yet <laughs> that, but that, uh there's a yeah there's a three house i think it's literally called 3h tarot on twitter uh they're they're one of the bigger fanzine projects and they like sold thousands of copies of tarot that gets gorgeous gold foil and everything uh oh, but yeah this this game vision tarot 
Yeah, so I want to know about it. So Yeah, it has the tarot element and the idea of like, well, we want the players to, you know, have the feeling of playing Genshin. It's a, it's a cooperative game. Each player will create a team of four characters uh, and essentially, you know, deck build their way through a, uh, a waves upon waves of enemies until they fight off one of the bosses. There's a couple bosses in the box. Like the, like the world bosses, that yeah, sort of thing? Yeah, for example, we have the Valen right here. He's one of the bosses. Oh, that's so cool. We have the Valen. We have the wolf. Andreas, oh, yeah. And then we have Lechonk, the chonky frog. Big angry frog, oh boy. I haven't gotten there yet. Uh, oh, yeah. As the high is, uh, he's a world boss in Liyue. So you'll get him very soon. You'll get him very soon. But the, uh, you know, the, the tarot part is really just at the beginning of the game. Uh, you divine your team. You don't get to just assemble it. Because otherwise, I think people would probably spend way too long putting together a team. It would take like. Oh, so it's like, it's, hours, it's like the wish system. Exactly. You just get randomly built a, a team of. Uh, five characters and you choose four of them and that's uh that's kind of where the tarot part comes in and then you have like all the elemental stuff in there as well oh yeah the gameplay itself is essentially a it's slay the spire gameplay with uh with genshin theme on it the gameplay itself is very much so slay the spire inspired it's just a deck builder that's Uh, awesome yeah, but the the systems wise is you can either deal damage or you can apply elements. There's no statuses. You don't apply statuses to enemy. You right. apply elements, and every two elements triggers something. Ah, uh, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. I, I really I've recently got back into that sort of like deck building, um, sort of like deck building games. I started playing this one on Steam called Across the Obelisk, oh. and I feel like it takes Slay the Spire to that like next level. It's very similar to like kind of what you're describing in that you have a party of characters and you like level them up and you build decks for each one of them. And then you go through like an entire story and there are side quests and the gameplay is very much exactly like Slay the Spire. And it's not what I was expecting for Gachetero and I'm like kind of here for it. Oh yeah, um, the, the gameplay itself is... I actually have some of the tarot cards. Yeah, here. I looked at I looked at all of the stuff on the website. <laughs> you, just, uh, you just divine a team of four characters. I think that because like there's cert, there's a uh, almost forty characters from the get go. If you told somebody to be like pick your team of four from this forty cast, it would it would take forever. It, it would also yeah, or like fun. or like they would just pick the characters they're currently yeah. playing in the game. The uh, the fun of this game and what makes it super replayable and the people who are really liking it love it because. Uh, the random set of characters you get dealt and figuring out how to make that deck work is what makes this game fun. This game, so that's gonna that's gonna come out in March. Of- yeah, it's gonna yeah. ship very soon. And the cards okay. themselves look like this, exactly like Slay the Spire. You have they're all just action cards. Oof, they have yeah. text on the bottom that tells you what they do when you play them, and then at the very top corner, uh, how many action points they cost. And this is all just like. This is all custom art. This isn't any oh, yeah. game art. So when with with the dawn of Anna's Roundtable having become friends with hundreds of artists, this project basically was uh, it's a hundred percent original art. We That's awesome. and here's the cool thing: where with Nintendo, we were always kind of living on the edge, <laughs> living life a little bit dangerously. Right. Uh, with Genshin, we're not Genshin Impact, owned by MiHoYo. Yeah, is one of the most fan-friendly companies I have ever seen exist. You're just uplifting their brand. Right. You're doing they, free marketing for them. They are so 
fandom fan merch positive. I've never seen a company more fandom positive uh, than perhaps Hades. Hades was really fan, Hades. fan, fan merch They're positive. They're indie, yeah. Uh, but like they're small, right? But like Genshin yeah. is like huge. Massive. They are they are most pretty much they have like a public uh term of term of service agreement to like guideline for how you can create fan merch, and it's super loose. It's essentially just it. like if you're not selling it in mass retail on Amazon, we don't care. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and also no figurines. That's like that's like it. They're like you cannot make anime figurines. Outside of that, anything's free game. You can I think a lot of companies though really draw the line at figurines though. Well, they have to, yeah, because they're yeah. actually going to make them. So yeah, they don't want to and they they are like very high quality representations of these characters. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, uh, that's super cool because you see a lot of because obviously like when we first met, you weren't on Etsy, but now you are. Oh so yeah. Naturally, I go to your Etsy store to you know see what you got, and then I go down the absolute rabbit hole of looking at Genshin stuff. I also like There's so much Genshin merch on Etsy. My 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 partner was like, oh you you know you need to drink more water. Literally my so my partner's white and literally like I'm at work, like I'm work from home and she's upstairs and she looks down at me and I look up and she's like, Daniel, I'm sorry, right now. And I'm just like, oh god, okay. <laughs> and something like hydrating enough. So she like bought me this like Nalgene bottle and like I was like, you know what? I'm gonna put stickers all over it. So nice. I put like a, a like a Snorlax on it. I got turning red. Uh, I got, I got Anya from Spy Family. I have some Watakoi ones coming in the mail, but I've been looking for Genshin stickers. Oh yeah, I'm a big sticker bomb guy. This is my laptop. Oh yeah. Right now, I actually filled up my previous laptop case, and I and I retired it. I popped the case off and I put it on my wall, and I started with a clean case. So oh, I that's super cool. Stickers on it. <laughs> I want I want to make stickers when um. And not to make things super heavy, like our when our when our cat died, uh, in when we when we said goodbye to our cat in August, uh, to help my partner, I I commissioned uh, an artist to oh, to draw eight little cartoons of our cat as like a pizza with a sword, like just like cute little like classes for our, for our cat. And I've had these files, and my my intention was actually to get them made. She's in the shower, so she can't hear this. Um, my intention, and she doesn't watch the podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, and my intention was to get them made into like stickers and like charms, so that she'd like have reminders. And so I've been like doing some research into like Vograce because Vograce. Oh, I, be, I can help you exactly how to do it. I, I can get it seems to be like the one service that lets you do small batch. Vograce is great for small batch. They're also really expensive, but for personal use, they're the way to go. Vograce yeah, for personal Juno, use. Juno is also pretty good. Uh, if you've looked into them, Both I might them... ask you about stickers and charms because I'm thinking about Asians rep stuff. So uh, nice. I might ask you if about you're that. Any merch made, like I can, I can, I, I've done so much merch. And like, here's the thing: the one high level uh, advice, anybody listening, if you're ever gonna make any charms or stickers, uh, for sale. If you're gonna make it for sale mm. and not for personal use, don't use Vogue Race or Juno. Don't do it. They're super expensive. Yeah, they're they're essentially middlemen. They uh, and they're just middlemen who are really good at English with really good customer service <laughs> and a very, very pretty website that is hassle-free. You can just upload directly to it. And the website tells you everything. It's like, uh, it makes it really hands-off for you to use them. But if you're actually making like, you know, if you're making like 500 stickers to sell, 
just go to Alibaba. Like, just talk to them. Oh, yeah. Directly. The cost difference is not even, like, close. Like, uh, like I made those acrylic standees. Um, yeah, the Genshin one. ones. Yeah, you have the, um, actually, here, the child you, one, right? If you are a Final Fantasy fourteen fan, this is actually a sneak preview. I have not posted this anywhere. Anywhere. Exclusive. Exclusive. Just for Asian There are... I get it. I get. These are, I get so these much flack for not playing like Final Fantasy fourteen. I know. I, <laughs> I uh, I got a quote from Juno for them to make five hundred, and it was fifteen dollars each. But like a regular manufacturer is like three dollars each. Like, I, I, and I knew Juno was going to be expensive. I literally just went out of my way to prove a point to my friend, and I was like, "Let right. me show you why you shouldn't use them." It's ridiculously expensive. The markup is huge. So you get the you you have the art. You you get the art done. You go to your manufacturer, yes. and then you just take care just of it. Do, That's awesome. Go directly to your manufacturer. There's so many of them, uh, and Alibaba is basically the Amazon of manufacturing. They, every manufacturer has their own profile. They're they're all very competitive because they have to be. There's so many of them, uh, and right. Juno and essentially is, just is just a middleman. That's all. Has shipping stabilized from from like China to 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 North America now? Well, for small before... batch small batch merch like this, you're it's gonna be air shipping either way. So like, no problem. Ship it like it they, it was basically not affected. Uh, the shipping crisis was mostly affecting like actual shipping. Like you know, a whole box of charms is still one box. Like, shipping containers. Charms. We're talking about like right. containers. <laughs> yeah, like when I shipped Anna's roundtable from China to America, I paid twenty grand. I saw time. your I saw your tweet. So you were mad. like. You were like, I paid twenty grand, and then now it's like three to seven grand. Yeah, or it's so cheap now. It would, it like it tanked. It like nosedived over the last month, and I'm like, what? I mean, at the at the time, everybody was like, who knows if it, if it's ever gonna come down? And I was convinced it probably would never. And I wasn't gonna wait like another nine months before I yeah, shipped just... it out to my customers. I, that was not gonna happen. Um, but yeah, I basically hit the peak. Like when when Anderson Table finished manufacturing. Fright was at an all-time high, and I was like, "Oh, this is so painful." I was in the red for quite a while with that project because of the fright. Because when I first started it, and I collected yeah. shipping and paid everybody paid estimate for fright for a container was four thousand dollars. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> and totally. then when it was finished, it, it was like add 20. sixteen grand to this. Yeah, I was like, "Oh my god, this sucks. This hurts so much." Uh, so, but now it's back to normal, thank God. Uh, so I think board gaming as a whole is probably gonna do a lot better because fry prices are better. Uh, yeah. So you, you speaking of like board gaming, right? One of the things you mentioned was like components. Uh, Cuz I want to know about board game design. Not not even just from like, oh, I want to like make charms and stickers or acrylic standees or whatnot. But in terms of just designing a board game. I want to talk about this because for me when I think about a like board game design, there are so many more working parts than designing an RPG. Like I've been a part of like, I've worked on big RPG projects. I've done solo stuff. I've worked with small teams. I've self-published print. I've done digital. And all of it has been like really streamlined, really easy because for the most part, it's just all about the text. Yes, there's like getting like art done. If you can't do the layout, there's layout. Think about (laughs) board games. Have you done, uh, did you do the layouting before for yourself? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. all like all of my indie releases, I do all of my layout. Um, with the, the um, I remember you. I remember checking out one of the ones you made. I, it wasn't Band of Brothers, but when I oh the uh, Ross Rifles, the World yeah. War One. Game. I did not do that one. I did not do the layout for that one. That one was 
very professionally done. Yeah, I remember like that one looked super good. I was about to vet. I was like, "Damn, you're pretty good at graphics." Like, okay, okay, okay. So. Also, I'll mail you. I'll mail you a copy of the book. I'll mail you. Oh, a copy. oh, damn. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. DM me I'll, your address later. You. I got, I got, I got like a lot of extra copies. I'll DM you a copy. I'll, I'll like, I'll mail you. you. A copy. I'll trade you some Genshin merch. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> Deal. I'll send you some stuff. Yeah, D- send me your address after. I'll, I'll mail it to you. Um, but yeah, no, we had uh, a, a buddy of ours, Will Parks. He did the uh, graphic design for it. We actually found like a, an artist on on like Instagram uh, who did some of the interior art. But we also had the luxury of having all of the World War One photos being in the public domain. Oh, because right? everything's yeah, in the public yeah, domain. Yeah, there was a lot of photos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we we didn't have like Smart. like we had a professional cartographer do the map, like the battlefield maps, mm-hmm. and like our cartographer was like any award winning cartographer, Mark Richardson who is a cartographer for the Canadian government. And he used professional map making tools to make <laughs> the battlefield maps for World War I. But for the most part, all of our art assets were in the public domain, which we really lucked out with. That's um, cool. I can't wait for uh, a Winnie the Pooh board game. Now that oh, Winnie the Pooh is in the public domain. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised there isn't already one on Kickstarter. <laughs> Another great World War I story. Because uh, Winnie Whoa. the Pooh comes from World War I. Wait, really? I did not know that. Yeah, Winnie the Pooh was like a, a bear in the London Zoo. It, ha- it has to deal with World War One. Same with like Lord of the Rings. A lot of people don't know that. I didn't, um, know, I didn't J- know that either. What? J.R.R. J- Tolkien fought in World War One. He was like ah. a he he fought in the Battle of the Somme, and is a really tragic story. Like he fought in the Battle of the Somme. He was wounded in World War One, and he had all these friends go with him to war, and all his friends fucking died. Oh shit. Like he he like had like survivor's guilt and a part of his inspiration for like the fellowship of the ring was from his experiences in war. And like that's real actually war. super I had not I never knew that. I, yeah, I've what, never read like I wasn't really into like Lord of the Rings or anything, but that's I know what yeah, it is, obviously. <laughs> I think World War One is like was like a really interesting conflict because huh. it's very different from war now, right? It's mm-hmm. like dudes living in trenches, like eating rats like their feet are rotting off they're like just waiting to die uh and then there's like dudes who are like a couple of kilometers away from you who are chilling with the enemy because nobody wants to fight it was like a really strange war and it wasn't until recently that people are actually kind of really thinking about how world war one was actually fought out like i know on netflix all quiet on the western front uh, just came out on Netflix. Mm, like I've seen clips of that on uh, YouTube Shorts. It's like <laughs> super realistic, right? There's like the movie 1917, another like really sort of like depressing look at the war. And then there's like one of the greatest World War One movies ever made, Wonder Woman. Um, like the first Wonder Woman movie is a World <laughs> War One movie. Like there's literally a scene where she's fighting yeah. in the trenches and in no man's land of World War One, and it was it's fucking epic. And but a lot she, of people uh, don't she, think about she that. She rushes through with her. She shield rushes through with her shield, and it's and so her cool. Completely unguarded knees and shins. <laughs> yeah, and then there was the Kingsman movie, yeah. The King's Man. I think the latest one, the prequel, is a World War One film as well. I um, didn't watch that. I love the Kingsman series. I thought it, series. I I thought it was pretty that. good. There was a really good trench warfare no, I scene. I thought it was awesome. Um, but that's like a tangent for us. Like making Ross rifles was really easy because it was like we work in Microsoft Word. Right, work in Microsoft Word. We do everything there. We had an editor. We, you know, our biggest expense was actually travel. Was really travel. Was like because we wanted to make sure we got all the historical details correct, and we went to like 
our nation's oh. capital, Ottawa, and spent like a weekend in their armory handling all the guns and all the artifacts to make sure we got it right. But designing an RPG was really easy because we didn't have major art expenses. Publishing. I wouldn't call it easy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it easy. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. Very, like, yeah. it's still very challenging, but like financially, yeah. I will very say financially different, easy. Very different. Yeah, I mean, it, the, I mean, travel cost for historical accuracy is a cost that most board games would never even think of. So, like, it, it's just a totally true. different game. Yeah, but like um, for us, when we went to do like the fulfillment of like our Kickstarter, mm-hmm. we actually happened to come across like a like a printer in our city who had a lot of experience also fulfilling Kickstarters. Mm. And printing printing and shaping books is probably much easier. It, and it was much easier, but like, I won't give it to you. (laughs) But the thought of, and like this happened just Mm -hmm. before the pandemic. So we got locked in on a price and everything. So when the pandemic happened, we got literally August of 2020, all of our books were delivered. Um, But most of our buyers were in in North America. Now the, the thing about a board game is honestly like terrifying because you think about like, Hey, I've got to not only do you have to play test it, but I also have to think about art because let's be honest, like art sells TTRPGs and board games. Yeah. Like art yes. is a very, very, very important component of it. Oh, I'm yes. I'm one of those people where if I look and I see the art and the game is not reflective of it, it at all, I got really annoyed. Like, React uh, React is a pretty expensive on art. And Genshin Tarot too. Genshin Tarot, like uh, we paid, I want to say just over 20 grand for art. Yeah, there's, but the art is beautiful, right? So you got art, then you have to actually manufacture the components. And then, and then there's another thing that like terrifies me from like a logistical perspective in terms of like how much it would cost is like, cause I see you've got a ton of tokens, like all of your tokens <laughs> and like the cutouts for the tokens. Punch and boards then, are not that bad. Punch boards are not and that then bad. Manu- and then, oh, punch boards, that's the word. Yeah. And then manufacturing the box, the packaging as well. Oh, look at that. Oh, nice. You can apply, yeah, you apply elements. It's going to be good. But it's like, but but that's not something you have to think about in TTRPGs unless you're doing like a box set. Yeah. Like I know Free League does a lot of box sets. And, you know, I I, I kickstarted um, Twilight 2000. And that was a really weird one to receive because when I got it in the mail, Russia invaded Ukraine. When you do the box sets, the, uh, the dice makes money. That's what you got to do. Yeah, but then our dice, dice, I guess... Yeah, people love dice, but like, I want to know like about board games. Like, what are the what are the differences between like making a board game and like making a tabletop RPG? Because I know that board games can be far more lucrative than tabletop RPGs. I mean, not can be; they are far more lucrative than tabletop RPGs if you get a hit. Yeah, um, it's it's and- all about scale, though. I think I think board games and tabletop RPGs same things. Like, the margins is probably. I don't think the margin is great either either way. I think mm. it's all. I think at a lower end, tabletop RPGs have better margins. Uh, yeah, because you can print fifty to a hundred books, and the prices no aren't, problem aren't too bad, and you can sell them for fifty dollars a book if you if you have like a dedicated audience. Whereas board games is like you could, you could never do that. Like minimum minimal requirements like a thousand copies. Like if you print anything less than a thousand, what are you doing? You're not going to make any money. Uh, so it's the but once you scale up really high, I think board games definitely become a lot more lucrative for sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I would say the main difference is just yeah, it's you have to think about packaging a lot more. 
with board games. Not that all publishers do that. I will. I think a large majority of publishers do not give a damn about packaging. They just throw everything in a box and ship it to you. Which there is I, a. I hate. I hate so much. One of my favorite board games, Blood Rage, has incredible packaging. Everything fits so well into that box. Oh, I love you that. could tell it was just like optimally designed. Yeah, the way the I minis are stacked, packaging. everything fits so well in the packaging. You could tell that they they thought very hard about what is the smallest we could possibly make this box. But yeah, that is I, something that's very scary to me. I and, was very proud of Anna's Roundtable, specifically because the packaging, the way we designed it, or I designed it. Uh, so after you take the box lid off, obviously, there's yeah. this tray on the top. And the tray fits our game boards and the rule book. Uh, oh, so that clear plastic? Yeah, so there's a tr- lid tray that has... You know, oh, that's smart. Book, and then you can finger out so, the rule book, and then all the game boards are right here. That's very cool. And I was really, really proud of this solution. So how does one design something like that? Like what is, uh, what sort I, of, I just drew it out on paper. I drew so, it so it's just like literally yeah. draw it, <laughs> it out. And then, and then I you... sent it to my manufacturer. We made, they made the 3d model. And then like we went back and forth because inserts like these, and then this insert I'm very, very proud of. Oh, that's really cool. Spaces for all our custom shapes of meatballs, enough space for all the cards. This actually is two games worth of cards. Cause I brought this to a tournament, to right. a tournament to play. So one box is enough for like four uh, four players. Everything has their own space. My favorite little detail is this little divot right here where I don't have all the stuff in it because I gutted this game. I gutted this box for the tournament. But anyway, there's an entire secondary market for laser cut. Yeah, so that's the thing. I hate I hate too. having to buy a you shouldn't have extra to. insert. Yeah, exactly. You shouldn't have to. Like the board game... Because like the plastic insert isn't that expensive. It is... The mold cost is an upfront cost, usually right. somewhere between 150 to 500 depending on the materials and how many molds you have. Uh, so there is that upfront cost, but it's not that much. It's not that much. Come on, so, pushers. So just, kind just of what I'm, so what I'm hearing <laughs> is that like the biggest difference between like making a board game, obviously like mechanically there are huge differences in how you kind of like the player experience for a board game in a tabletop RPG. Um, but the biggest thing that I'm hearing here is that a critical component of making and you know publishing successfully a board game is having a very, very strong connection with the manufacturer. Oh, that part for sure. I think that's, you're right. I think manufacturing can be a little bit easier for books because there's so many you just go to a publisher. Yeah, there's so many of them out there. Book, you can yeah. even do it through Amazon. Yeah, there's so many book book printing has been around. It's very robust. But for board games, most of your manufacturers aren't even a one stop shop. Like a, most manufacturers still has to outsource some of the things that you you make to them. For example, like you're you, going to get folks who, who who will like make the meeples, folks who do exactly. the cards, the dice, and then they send it to one person, and then that person assembles yeah. everything. Right. For example, these meeples, like my manufacturer, oh, yeah. it's a pretty big manufacturing company. They have and they work with like three or four large plants, basically factories to do the mm. cards and all the basic stuff. But like, if you wanted something that's more specific, like a cloth mat or custom shaped meeples, they have to, they still outsource that. They're not like, it's not like a single one house does everything. Right. So 
you have to be really close to the manufacturer for sure. And so, me and my manufacturer like, for this project got really close. We we became such close friends. We started sharing, like texting each other, like uh, air fryer recipes. And uh, oh, I love great. air frying. <laughs> <laughs> she uh, she she even sent me photos of her wedding, and I sent her photos of my wedding as well. It's it's great. Like uh, yeah, you you. I I think I have an advantage. I think that's not super normal. I will I will. Yeah, front about that. I think most people everybody most be prepared to share recipes. That's the that's the advice. I think here. most publishers don't have a very close relationship with their manufacturing rep. Uh, I so, think I am lucky because I speak Chinese and like we we just got really close. I was gonna say so like you're going to want a manufacturer in China. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's basically unavoidable. I don't. There are a couple of board game manufacturers in America, but they mostly focus on doing on-demand printing and mostly catering to designers and publishers for prototypes. Uh, and right. there's a couple of plants now in Europe and a couple of plants in Vietnam. But for the most part right now, the industry is still heavily reliant on Chinese manufacturing just because it's right. they're, they're, they're very robust. They're robust. They've done it for so many years. They can do it very quickly, uh, a lot more cheaper, the cost. With higher, higher quality than American manufacturers. American manufacturers plainly speaking, just aren't, the quality's not there. Like it's just, the quality's not even there right now. Uh, That makes sense. So I guess when thinking about a board game design project, if you're like, okay, I want to make a board game. I want to make, honestly, board game design scares me because I know (laughs) that they're, it's a, it's a long haul. In in my mind, it's, it's more of a long haul than RPG design. Because with RPG design, you can just go and digitally release it and be done with it and just keep iterating on it and keep releasing updates. With a board game, it's like once it's out, you don't really get a chance to kind of recover from that. Um, that is 100% the case. I like mean... when, when I hear, and this is like, look, <laughs> yeah. this is like no shade to people who work at that company. But when I'm on Facebook and I see ads for, oh, Elden Ring, the board game, and the majority of the emojis on that are a laugh emoji, I'm like, yeah, because it's Steamforge games. They make really pretty assets, but their gameplay, their reputation for gameplay really sucks because yeah. of what they did with Dark Souls. Nobody's Street. buying that game to play it, let's be honest. No, everybody's going to buy that game for the minis and then use it for something else. Oh, man. I'm so mad at how... Did you see their press event where they had like that closed door press event? where they? Yeah, showed... you had to like... it. What it's is just this? Their... Yeah, it, it's pretentious, but also their their model for that game to play to get a full Elden Ring game experience, it's going to cost you like a grand. This yeah, game is going to be more expensive than Kingdom Death. It, and it, it, the idea that like they're so aware that the gameplay is bad that they won't let people play it without some sort of supervision this is to me hilarious this is literally what happens in video games <laughs> this is the review embargo yeah in, in video games they're um, like you can only play with one of our teammates closely supervising and teaching because obviously if you play a game and the person who knows everything about it is right there helping you you steer you away from things that are weird yeah it's a much better experience but it's just like it's it's so obvious that they even they're not even confident in their own the the gameplay they're just there for people to show up take pictures of the minis and then leave that's well yeah it's just like you're you're selling just based (laughs) on like the brand identity alone not the gameplay experience and it's gonna sell it's gonna sell oh of course No but. doubt, and they know that too. So, like, we're never getting a sponsorship. I'm, I'm probably gonna now. buy it. I'm not, <laughs> I, hate, I hate it so much, but I love Elden Ring, and the Mindy's do. I, really I do. Good. I love Elden Ring. I'm like, I'm like a, one of those filthy, like, holy players. Um, oh my god! Oh god! Yeah. I, mean, I back Darkest Dungeon. I hate that board game. That board game yo, that, sucks. 
they oh, didn't they get they got financially like and, yeah and it was just turning into a giant mess but like even when it was on kickstarter i posted this giant rant about how crappy this game looked because if you i watched the whole playthrough with becca scott and, um, yeah, and yeah. i was like this is a garbage board game you <laughs> you want to so mad <laughs> you want to know what like in terms of like board games i don't want something super complex actually my partner was looking to see like what kind of board game she wants to start playing board more board games like all mm-hmm. she wants to do is play blood rage but like we also don't want to be around lots of people because we're like i don't want to go outside right um so we're like okay two player board games what do we got i'm like uh hero quest we can get hero quest that's like it's a very light dungeon crawly very you know a, it's a time capsule of a game mm-hmm. there's like descent because there's like we could and she was like, oh, what about Gloomhaven? I'm like, we'll play the video game. We'll play the video game. We'll play the video game. better as a video game. It wanted to be a video game in the first place. Yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah. The one that I, I think about, when I, especially when I think of design, in terms of like elegance and in terms of like foresight and in terms of like aesthetics meets gameplay is photosynthesis. Mm, I've not I love it. that. I, I've it seen is it. literally just really about nice. growing trees and then the sun moves around. It's a very and aesthetic game. It's very aesthetic game. I remember going to Queen City Conquest in like 2017, and I played that game six times. And they're like, they have this board game library, and I played it like six times, and I loved it. But the point I'm trying to make is like, it has very simple components. When I think about, I played Twilight Imperium, like on Tabletop Simulator with some folks, and like, cool game, but I would never, never choose to play that game because there's just so much shit. But also like the thought of, manufacturing it is also explains why it costs so much money right they have all these little minis they have little cards tokens dice and now that i'm it's, understanding it's very bloated it's very bloated i'm understand now that i'm understanding that all these components cannot be made by one single manufacturer i get it so i i think what i'm trying to say is like if you're getting into board games and you want to design your own board game I feel like at the very beginning of your project, when you're ideating on what this is going to be, you have to know what kind of components you want from the very beginning. Yeah, you have to think about what kind of components you're using for your board game very, very early on. That is something I think a lot of... I think a lot of board game designers realize that pretty early on too, because as they play board games, they realize, oh, how many meeples do I need? And you don't realize how expensive things can become and... You know, board games right now has basically like a five to ten x markup in order to be financially viable. So, mm-hmm. like, if you sell a board game that's fifty dollars, uh, it needs to be produced under ten dollars. Like, that's not a lot of money to work with. No, and then you also have to produce it in <laughs> like high enough quantities to also yeah. get to that point too. And uh, surprisingly, actually, minis is actually on the cheaper end. Uh, minis are also Arkham Horror LCG is a good game. Uh, just seen. I've heard very good things about yeah. it. Uh, but yeah, minis are actually one of the cheaper components. The thing that's really expensive about minis is the mold. The mold is very expensive. Several thousand dollars for a mold. Um, that that makes total sense because you're going to have to get somebody to sculpt like a master. Oh, I'm not even talking mold. about the sculptor fee. Yeah, the person, who, the artist, yeah. you have to pay them too. And usually 3D artists who make the render and make the, that design is also expensive. But the actual physical getting a mold made is like a couple thousand dollars. But then you can use it over and over. Over and over, and over again. Yeah, and not, not visual surprised. Minis are like a couple cents. Now, you know what actually prevents you from having to get a mastermade Hero Forge, our sponsor for this yeah. episode of the podcast. So if you're, you know, like if the thought of getting a master mold made and paying thousands of dollars to get a sculptor 
if that's a little scared to you and you just kind of want to maybe prototype but have something beautiful to look at or maybe you're looking for something hey I broke this mini for a board game or I'm designing my own board game and I just want it for home play and you want some beautiful minis Hero Forge has your back yeah. this holiday season give the gift of a custom miniature or miniatures with Hero Forge uh, between November 18th and November uh, 28th 2022 get $5 off a physical 3d printed miniature uh, that's basic premium and color plastic so you don't even have to be good at painting here I am being this sucker with like all of these games workshop paints <laughs> all of my Warhammer um, they do it in color they even do it in bronze but you get $5 off a 3d printed miniature uh, by using coupon code loot drop uh, the link will be in the show notes and the description on YouTube and on audio uh, again, this is not combinable with other offers, but again, thank you, Hero Forge, for your support uh, and very thematically placed sponsorship <laughs> for this episode. <laughs> totally unintended. But yeah, like when I think about manufacturing, miniatures, surprisingly, I guess, are on the lowest end in terms of cost. What is the highest cost thing for manufacturing then? Because well, so for it's... me, it was like, I thought minis would be the highest one. It depends on it depends on how many games you're printing, right? So, like, if you print a thousand copies of a game, right? Right. Each mini, like, and you have one mini in that game, and that mini's mold costs three thousand dollars. Oh, true. Even yeah. if one mini only costs two cents to make, which it might, it probably will be more. Even if it was like zero cents to make, each mini still is three dollars because the mold was three thousand dollars. So that's right. really the issue, which is comes back to even with the insert mold. Right, my insert mold, the mold cost was three hundred dollars alone, and if I only made a thousand copies, then each mold effectively comes out to be three fifty each, uh, not three fifty, uh, thirty uh, thirty five cents each. Right, uh, and that's a lot. That's a lot at a low quality, and that's not even factoring the fact of each mold actually then costs another, I think, fifty cents. Uh, so the molds okay. are pretty expensive. But that's the thing with these giant Kickstarters that raise, you know, $5 million overnight. They're sending out 20,000 copies. So, like, the mold becomes very, very cheap. Very, very cheap, um, right. The more people buy into the Kickstarter, the cheaper, the cheaper it becomes it for them. So, uh, so what you're saying is the most expensive thing is potentially the mold. Yeah, the upfront costs like, are all usually usually the most expensive things, for sure. Because, like, oh, okay. so like the fees, right? And it's hard to, hard to properly... The more you print, the cheaper it gets. As far as components-wise, right. uh, you know, certain things don't get that much cheaper with scale. Plastic components like uh, like acrylic, like gems, don't get right. that much cheaper with scale. Which is why with these really big games, you often will not see those really like cheap feeling like little plastic gems, uh, which were that you see in a lot of medium-sized board games that only have like two thousand, right. five thousand. Like uh, you're talking about. Like uh, I have some on my desk, like like these little like these little like plastic things. I've got these little plastic. Yeah, I have some. Yeah, okay. Minus round table. Yeah, and I've got gems. I've got these little these little pink gems too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So these do not get that much cheaper with scale. Like they will. There's like a floor to how cheap they can get, and each of these cost me like you know eight cents, and like that just it's just not gonna get cheaper than that. I, I don't remember if it was actually eight cents or not, but like. Right, so uh, it doesn't you know make I mean. it doesn't make sense to have that as a component if you're going to mass yeah. produce, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess that's why board games that have like gems may use sort of punch outs 
Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. when you go to like these really big, expensive games, like have you ever like a miniatures game that you get? Um, I don't know, like the Dark Souls War game. Oh yeah, or, the Dark Souls one. They won't have these kind of components, despite having a ton of really gorgeous acrylic, uh, you know, the plastic minis. They won't have these kind of acrylic components because they 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 floor out at a pretty high price. Um, so what about ones, uh, what about like? Instead of miniatures, acrylic standees. That's another thing. Why acrylic standees is not very popular. And uh, this might lead into React. I do. I want to talk about React because I'm thinking about the components of your game. You're using that. Uh, Acrylic standees, similar to these things, they have a floor. They don't get that much cheaper with scale. Uh, So, like, you know, I can make, uh, you know, an acrylic standee like this. I think these are actually $5, not $3. I was lying earlier because uh, this is pretty big it's triple layers even yeah. if I made like say right now it's $5 to make one of these and I if I make 100 if I made 10,000 of these you're not the really price might drop. the price might drop down to 250 right <laughs> right because it's not there's not a master mold it's not like it's not like they're not molded they're, they have to be no matter what they have to be individually laser cut Right. Right. Um, so it's it, the quantity isn't really going to change right, the right. cost. I see. So like, if you're going to do something like smaller batch, then like acrylic is totally fine. Mm-hmm. But if you're going like mass market, it's why you're not seeing acrylic standee minis, mm-hmm. and you're seeing like maybe like resin minis or, yeah. or just like like cheaper plastic stuff. And uh, I I really like acrylic standees. I I think they're gorgeous, especially with the anime aesthetic. I you think get the color are, and everything too. Yeah. Anime just doesn't translate into minis very well. It just it just doesn't. Yeah. And on top of that, for me, for React, one thing that's really great about minis is uh, a lot of board games that have uh, acrylics. Uh, the base will just be a very small circle. We have these larger bases because they're practical. Right. Uh, because these they're characters, secret. yeah, uh, not just because just these two. These characters, they have they're, they're on a grid. You move them. They're dudes on a grid, just like a mini is. But in addition to being a mini on a grid, you can put tokens on them like this oh the yeah itself. so like you can apply a token like a status token to a standee and, and you can and move can it move. around yeah and That's so smart. unlike minis which are purely aesthetic because they function the same as a meeple these actually have a function they actually are Un- functional unless you have a counter on them like hero clicks uh yeah 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 that, but then those, those are, are more <laughs> but those are more expensive to manufacture um okay so like before we dive dive too deep into this before we dive too deep on this we're talking about react the audience needs to know what is React. I've yeah. looked through a lot of the assets that you sent me. I'm just super hyped about it. I love the art. Thank the you. The audience needs you. to know what is React. It's this so React dueling game. Is called React, spelled R E semicolon A C T. It's the most uh, anime. It's the most yeah. anime title ever. <laughs> it is literally the semicolon doesn't mean anything. It's just because it's anime. React, uh, and then the subtitle is the Arts of War. Uh, because uh, in this game, you play as one of eight different artists with magical superpowers. Uh, and in st- like classic anime fashion, they fight using these anime superpowers inspired by their art form. So you have you know, a calligrapher, uh, our main cover character, who has a katana. And the katana sheath is a giant inkbrush. And so she can ink her enemies with this giant inkbrush. And then basically any, any calligrapher she writes... Uh, it's basically like spells. Like she can write down commands that forces people that has ink on them to do what she commands. Uh, cool. You know, we have character like a, a, the water dancer. He, you know, very 
graceful he glides around and as he dances he summons these giant flying beta fish uh colorful flying fish that are also aggressive so the theme is the arts of war because it's a bunch of artists who literally artists crazy crazy anime powers and it's a play on the art of war uh yeah it's a it's a great i think it's uh i think it's a great one versus one dueling game it's inspired by old school Yu-Gi-Oh. so if you like Yu-Gi-Oh and you don't play it anymore because it got too crazy because it's all turn one wins yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the game for you. This is <laughs> so. So this is very much like because there are cards involved. You also have like a miniature. There's also a grid that you're fighting mm-hmm. on. So it's a tactical you, card dealer. That's what it it's is. okay. So you're moving your character around, but you're also using cards and applying tokens and everything. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a hybrid between I would say Yu Gi Oh meets. Uh, like a like a summoner wars, where summoner okay, wars cool. the cards are the creatures on the board themselves, and you have some spell cards. Whereas this game, the creatures are more like the creatures in Magic. You summon them, and then the creatures themselves can be tapped every turn, and then the rest is just cards in your hand, like Yu Gi Oh, like um, doing attacks and, and yes, things yes. like that. And there's no. It's- there's no the reason why we say it's very Yu Gi Oh inspired is because there's no mana, there's no action limit. Right. Uh, you know, Summoner Wars is a good example. You get to activate three units per turn, up to three units per turn. Mm. Uh, and every unit has generic, a shared generic set of actions. Every unit, when you activate it, they move up to two spaces and they can either melee attack or range attack. This game is not like that at all. Uh, every single unit has their own set of abilities when you activate them. Some of them don't even move. Most of them don't actually even move. Uh, uh, some of them are literally like we have a giant chocobo basically that's just awesome when when you activate it you can either spawn more chocobos or you can throw uh, throw uh, chocobos around it's great that's Uh, super cool yeah so it's very in that way it's more Yu-Gi-Oh-esque because you draw one card per turn and then on your turn you can dump all your whole hand like turn one you can just dump your hand if you want to that might be good probably will be bad and it's card advantage it's it's in that old school TCG vein of this game is about card advantage. This game is about knowing how and when to play your cards. The game doesn't have any guardrails. So that's the right. kind of game it is. It Are you aware of uh, Flesh and Blood? Uh, oh, man. I've heard it's of this, that game. It's this new TCG that like is getting really, really popular. Um, the local store that's near that, that's near us is like a Flesh and Blood store. And it's very much like I, th- I think it's designed by like X like magic folks, and it's literally card dueling. Like you have your heroes and you put equipment on them and shit, and you're basically just like going back and forth. Um, seems really cool, but there's no minis involved. Um, <laughs> there's no minis involved. Like honestly, I'm and I don't know if this is like a bad thing. I'm like one of those people where when I look at a board game. And I see beautiful art. I'm like, okay, you've already drawn me in. Art is like the first step. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a board, there's cars, there's other components. Okay, cool. Tactics, okay, I'm in. Minis, okay, I'm in even more. Oh, they're meeples, I'm out. Like I need <laughs> there to be, I need to see the character represented in a way that is detailed to me, whether it be like an acrylic standee like yours, where I can see the art. And honestly, the point you make about the representation of anime characters in 3D makes a lot of sense. 
especially I on like think, a yeah. really small the flat, scale. The flat art looks so much better. And these are chunky. They're like very, very large. The yeah, grid is only five by six. So each zone is a three by five, 3.5 inch zone. So yeah, like around, I, it looks really I get it. If you were like to go on a smaller scale, I was like, would you have to go in that sort of like chibi style, like, like sort of like aesthetic to actually like yeah, I, I, that... we specifically went this route because uh, the acrylic standees, I think, is the ideal way to play it. But the base game, the acrylic standees is a deluxification. Right? So the base right. game, you just play with cards and the cards go onto the zones themselves. And Oh, now... so the standees aren't on like the full, It's that's on the deluxe version. Yes, yes. The base game, there's no way we could fit uh, 28 unique acrylic standees into the base game at $60. That makes sense. It would just be, it would just be too expensive. Uh, I think a good comparison, I think Japanime Games has a couple of games that they sell acrylic standees for. Um, I think... Uh, like see. third party? Like acrylic no, standees? Japanime game? Games offers it. Uh, oh. I see, think, uh, the, the board game world is not something I am like super familiar with. Like I, I'm very casual when it comes to board games. So... One thing I wanted to ask about React, because I know you've done this in the past, and I know you've done mm-hmm. cultural consulting, actually. Um, I actually found this Reddit post that you made about cultural consultants. And it was it was really, I, I was reading it, and I was, it was very flattering, because you were like, oh, hi, this is me. I go by Brother Ming Games. I've worked on, I've done panels with Sen Fung Lim, Daniel Kwan. I was like, I don't even belong here. <laughs> oh, right? my God. I was, I was like, using you to give myself more clout. Please. More clout. <laughs> that's, that's how we that's how we lift up each other, right? But like when you talk about like the arts, are are these characters based on like traditional Asian arts? Like is it just Chinese? Are you like oh it's it's doing different very, cultures? very loose definition of art. It's very, very loose. Anime. Like ink brush, <laughs> like calligraphy. Uh, well, like so music. the main character is pretty personal to me. The main character, the calligrapher, uh, because my grandfather was Your grandfather's in the art, right? Yeah. Yeah, I actually, uh, I we just did a trailer. The trailer finally released, and uh, my grandfather is in the trailer as the main character's grandfather because he, uh, my grandfather was a calligrapher. He did it every day. He was very, very good. He was like our neighborhood calligrapher. He wrote That's like cool. birthday, wedding calligraphy for our the neighborhood people. Uh, and you know, he passed away. Rest in peace, grandfather, uh, grandpa. Uh, but uh, so like his calligraphy, like we we actually took pictures and scanned it. And like all the background calligraphy that's in the trailer is his. That's cool. And so that the calligrapher character is deeply rooted in Chinese calligraphy. The the her her actual attacks, uh, their those cards are uh, written. Uh, the calligraphy is written by Chris Lin, the game's lead designer's uh, mom, uh, who is a calligraphy oh, cool. teacher. She teaches calligraphy on the side, uh, or. I think it's not her full time. I don't think it's her full time. You got a family. Like, co- you got a family <laughs> connection though for some yeah. of that art. I don't want. I don't want to misspeak. Maybe it is her full time job. She's very good. Uh, and so she actually did the calligraphy for that character. And the the cards, the three cards that she has, are actually written in different eras of calligraphy, in mm. the style yeah. of those three eras, and the the effects reflect that. So like her character is very very oh, that's a, deep. L- a little deep. The other characters, they're a little bit zany. Like we have the animator. He is uh he is a JoJo's inspired character. He, oh, awesome. uh, cool. he he's the animator. He has, you know, a sketchbook. Uh and he has this uh basically projector that he can lay on the ground and it summons his, uh, his animation rig dolls. So he summons oh, that's cool. He summons a 12 FPS Chan, a 24 <laughs> FPS Kuhn, 
And then his <laughs> ultimate ability when he finishes his masterpiece, when he gets his finisher, is he summons 60 FPS Sama. Oh my god. <laughs> and he he is a action programming character. So oh he god. doesn't even have a deck of cards. He actually on his turn he can put down animation frames on the board and then once per turn he can animate the board. And when he animates the board, based on what animation frame he's put on a zone, that animation triggers for an adjacent standee of his. So for example, if he puts running animation on a zone and he animates that running animation frame, then right. his 12 FPS Chan will be able to run into that zone. Oh, Similarly, so if he puts down a punching animation frame, uh, and he can animate that punching frame, and then he can have his 24 FPS Chan uh, punch that zone. So all the characters are very zany. They play very differently. It's very anime. If you That's watch, awesome. Yeah, if you watch some like these anime fighting games... Uh, like Guilty a, Gear. Yeah, they're, you know, they fight with yo-yos. There's always yeah. an android... Uh, recently, the um, there was a fighting game that has a VTuber fighter in it. Like, oh my god! And one of her specials is like the uh, the the screen turns into a VTubing overlay, and she starts streaming and talking and like oh. bad attacks. It's like <laughs> anime fighting games is out there. Like so, whole other okay, cool. So, like so, it's very much not. It's very not. It's very loosely culturally coded, which is yeah. cool. We have some very because cool stuff. Uh, what do you the think dancer of, like, art... is a water dancer, for example. Oh, that's neat. Mm-hmm. What do you think of like when I when you said like oh you know they use art in dueling? I immediately I was like oh like in the like data from the Akatsuki and Naruto, like you make your little <laughs> clay things. We have a clay sculptor oh, who is inspired by kaiju. Uh, oh, cool! Like, that he he makes sculpts them? things, yeah. And his thing, we had to scale it back down. Originally, he was actually gonna actually sculpt kaiju, very much so inspired by SSS Gridman. Oh yeah, uh, uh, the villain in that show just sculpts kaiju and then turns to life. But uh, we scaled back the design to make him a little bit easier. Now he just sculpts these little uh, clay dolls that he calls buddies. But yeah. just like in Naruto, really the just buddies like are just claymores. They're just they're just bombs. Oh, that's <laughs> that's awesome. That's explode. super cool. Uh, so, so they're all artists. Thematically, it's very anime. It's very loose with the idea of what is an artist. <laughs> that's awesome. Because like the the last question I wanted to ask you was, you know, when we talk about like RPG design, and we talk about like you know representing cultures, even like fantastically in RPG design, we always talk about like cultural consultants. Mm-hmm. Is that a commonplace thing in the board game world? I actually just uh, worked on my first board game uh, as like a cultural consultant, and it was something that I never thought that I would do. But I, you see so many very explicitly culturally coded games. That usually is, have very little representation. Very <laughs> little. <laughs> like, like the Great Wall just came out recently. And if you look at the credits list, there's not a single Chinese person on that team. <laughs> great uh, Wall uh, yeah. game. It's, it's, a, it's a board game where it's a, the, the meeples are terracotta army. And I'm just like, God damn. Oh, God, good God. <laughs> yeah. Wait, 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 no, 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 no. I'm I'm thinking, no, the Great Wall is actually a different board game. The Great Wall's got like, oh, the, I gotta, I'm not going to lie though. The setup of the game looks dope. The art looks great. I'm not going to lie. But like you, you build can, like a fortress and shit. But you can go to the, you can go to the, uh, it's Awakened Realms. Uh, wait, no. What's the one that I'm thinking of? Uh, oh, this actually looks kind of cool. I, I Oh, damn. It looks good, right? It looks they, good. Actually, the Great Wall was pretty good because they actually ended up not having... um, They had a meeple option, which I was like in favor of. I was like, nice. I, I know I, you don't like meeples, but I'm just like, any board game that just decides not to only do minis, 
Uh, okay, yeah. There's a board game that recently came out called Terracotta Army. It came out oh, this year. Okay. That's the one where like if you go to the credits list and it's just like it's like it's all weird. white people. Yeah. <laughs> and there is a cultural consultant, I think. I think. I'm not sure. So it's not really a, a commonplace practice in No, nah, it's uh well it see come pretty common, but mostly they're just mm, what they're just there this? as a it's like a gesture, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, it's yeah. mostly there as a symbolic gesture. Like I think very recently, um what is that one about the psychology Kickstarter? It just it's just Ooh, I don't know. Um I can go to Kickstarter right now called Unconscious Mind, Unconscious Mind. And it's about Freudian psychology. Interesting. It's basically about it's the main character of this game is Freud, Sigmund Freud. Oh, they're, they're, I'm just um, I'm is, on Board Game Geek looking at Terracotta Army, and there's a a product photo. It's got a little <laughs> icon of a worker, and the way they did the art when they the way they tried oh, this is so bad when the way they tried to represent Asian eyes and like facial hair, they just made him look like a Guy Fox mask. <laughs> they just they just made it look like a Guy Fox. My mask. my most egregious one that it pissed me off back in the day was that panda one. Uh, from Simon, where like it was about Chinese pandas fighting off ninja monkeys, and then no. the, the generals that the general pandas were samurai, and I was like, "What the fuck?" Way, is going it's on? called it's called Way of the Panda. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's a panda. oh yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, because this I mean, is the thing. Like, I, I when I'm thinking about <laughs> board games, it's like it's either going to be deeply reflective of of like a culture, or the or the culture is will be very much used as like an aesthetic, like a cheap aesthetic mm-hmm. to sell something. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so going into this, I was like, I, w- I was like, I really wanted to know about like the use of cultural consultants in board games, which I guess not is great. like not great, <laughs> which I guess uh, is not great. Yeah. Way of the Panda was a really interesting story. I actually complain about it. Like I was like, why is there literally a samurai helmet on the action points board? Like this is obviously clearly you're trying to be like, these are Chinese pandas fighting off. Japanese monkey ninjas, uh, which is weird in itself. Uh, but like, <laughs> no hate on Kung what? Fu Panda. What's going okay. on? No hate on Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> yeah. But uh, and then the actual the game's designer actually reached out to me and was like, when I sold this design, this was not the theme. The theme was about uh, families traveling through Poland, and the publisher changed the design to be about. Well, I guess they. I guess the the aesthetic they want. They bought the mechanics and then just right. changed the aesthetic. Right. 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 And, and I guess uh, that's another pitfall yeah. in selling a board game to a publisher too, right? Yes, I would agree. I mean, I sold a board game to a publisher and it hasn't come out, but I got paid, so I'm not going to complain too much. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, I will say board game uh, cultural consultancy is not very mature. It very much so feels like, uh, okay, we've slapped something somebody onto the onto the box so that you know, you know, if we get in trouble, there's somebody we can throw under the bus. It's not our fault. Um, right. Synth Fonlim has does a couple of these, and it's just like sometimes like he gives the feedback, and they're just like cool, and then they don't do anything about it. I'm just like, what? what's That's even the, the point? Thing. What's even the That's point? That's the thing with cultural consultants, right? They, like people use them as like a stamp of approval. Yeah, I've told this story before on the podcast, but I I've had people approach and asked if like Asians represent has like a sticker. That's like an Asians represent approved sticker to put on their product. <laughs> like I was like, 
I could sell out right now <laughs> and just be making bank. Oh man, that's oh yeah, no, you it, could. I could sell out and be like the number one most hated Asian in tabletop. Um, uh, I actually but, did no. one control city work. I, I've stopped doing cultural consultancy because, like, this 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 was the job that actually made me hate it. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, it was for a a painting game where the characters you were playing at Chinese artists, uh, classical from you know some random like you know non non specific old Chinese era, and uh, you know I provided very very detailed feedback with uh, went through the rule book how things are yeah Rising Sun. Uh, yeah, Rising Sun was another one that because you know that came out after Blood Rage, and Blood Rage yeah. is, in my opinion, really good. Then Rising Sun is like, oh, all the yeah. names. But yeah, their cover art had the Chinese artist painting on an easel, standing up. And the whole theme is traditional Chinese painting, and I was just like, this is the easiest thing you can change. Redo the cover art, have yeah. them sitting down, drawing on a table. It makes no sense that they're painting on an easel. Yeah, that's not how it works. Like, it's just not like it would be vertical. Like they would be looking down, but they're like, we already did the art box art and they just refused to change it. And I was like, I don't, I, I requested to have them not have my name on the credits. I was like, I I've done do that. <laughs> I've done that once on a, on an RPG project where I asked to not be credited at all. Another one I asked to be credited differently and not as a mm -hmm. cultural consultant. Yeah, because um, like I mean, like if you're not gonna change it, then what's even the point? Like I'm not gonna get, I don't want to get in trouble. Like I'm, I'm not gonna be here just to be a stamp of approval, right? That's, right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the, <laughs> I think that's why I'm excited to see you know you thriving in board games because there's a recently with Steam Up, uh, you know, I'm very excited for Steam Up. The, the fact that that game did so it's, successfully it, makes me so happy. huge. Yeah, uh, I think I think we're finally. You know, there's not a lot of us. Uh, my team is all Asian minus uh, the game's developer, mm. uh, who is one of my best friends. He's like my honorary Asian. Honorary yeah, Asian. Yeah, I he get was it. my best man. I was his best man at our respective weddings. Uh, Eric Zarain, shout out, best developer in the game. <laughs> super really knowledgeable about games. And then our graphic designer is a uh, Hispanic uh, artist, designer, myself, we're all Asian. Uh, yeah, and it's just like it's it's it's. I think we're the only Asians making anime board games in the West. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, that's I a know. that's a. I mean, it's a cool thing to say, but also like a really sad a thing. Weird to, thing, to, right? Uh, but also it, a really sad thing because that means every other anime board game is just all made by white people. I mean, well, I mean, they're either localizations of board games that yeah. already exist in Japan, or like for example, the IP games, like the Death Note IP game was designed by a white couple. The Cowboy Bebop one right now is on live on Kickstarter. You can. Oh, really? I didn't know there was a. Uh, there's a Cowboy Bebop uh, RPG on Kickstarter right now. Oh yes, I know about the RPG. And if you if you scroll down and you know the uh, the the two guys designing it, they they're very happily posing and being like, "How long we've worked on it?" It's just two white guys. Yeah, I remember. And I'm like, you know, yeah. it'd be nice if. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, what happened to their picture? I guess they took it down. Um, I guess they took it down. It was the GM screen. Them, uh, yeah, it was them standing in front of the Cowboy Bebop like uh, backdrop. That's a whole other thing, like licensed IP. Like that adds to the cost of your mm -hmm. game. Like I can't oh, yeah. imagine how much it would cost to make a 
Cowboy Bebop game. And no, no shade to them. I'm just like, no, just no like, shade at all. Not a lot of, it's just not all Asians in the industry, you know? It's just oh, like, they have Grant Howitt working on, like, a test scenario? That's neat. Yeah. I mean, it looks good. And Chris Taylor. Yeah, it's, it's, I just like, yeah, it's, it's nice to be, it's weird to be the only Asian guy with an anime board game. Yeah, reason. no, that's totally understandable. It's it's <laughs> it's um, like uh, it's like showing up to like with like an Asian food truck <laughs> at an Asian food truck meetup, and you're the only Asian chef. <laughs> it's a little weird. Right? It's a little. Weird, and then yeah. everybody's putting like pineapple in their kanji, like that one company. Yeah. I don't like, know if you ever saw that. <laughs> Cowboy Bebop, in particular, has been very co opted by American culture. I think too. And I think because of the music. Yeah, it's great. I love Cowboy Bebop, and I understand why it's been co-opted. That one makes just, sense. Yeah, but it's just like, I mean, it's not it's not cultural, right? It's just it's just like, oh man, where's the Japanese people? Where's the Asians? Like, you know, we, we it's we, like ScarJo and Ghost over. in the Shell. Yeah, <laughs> at least in that one, they address it pretty pretty blatantly. Like her when she, before she turned into the major, she was Asian. She I was Asian. It. Oh my it, god. <laughs> Yeah, but it still it still fucking sucks. It still fucking sucks, right? And it's ironically, it's actually one of the best anime live action adaptations. I hate admitting it. I know. I, I, it? of course, it's so good. Which the part that you know what so scene good. really you know what scene really got me when first of all the casting of the other characters oh, are, are like it's really well done. Really the, the scene when the major is ripping up the hatch on the mech and her arms rip oh, off. Yeah, yeah, is like. So well done, so or, many or, the, or the opening scene, the iconic yeah. scene where she has he the camo like shot cloak. by shot identical to it's, the original. It's really it's well done. It's like I, I actually think it might be the best live action anime and, and like ever. and like the, the the geishas, like the the yeah. mecha geishas. It, oh, it, when they pop it, out, they oh, pop out is so God. well done because I think they had Weta Workshop doing it, and you know they're legendary. Oh, they I, I don't know. To, I don't know. They I also got into the like, this is amazing. Well, they also got into the board game space too. They made the giant killer robots board game. Oh, but yeah, they it's have, just like, a publishing division. And Scarjo did actually earn a good job. She's she's a pretty good actor, all things aside. But like, I was like, damn, really? You Couldn't could... we not have done Scarjo? <laughs> it's just <sighs> that's why I thought like Pacific Rim was really good because they had mm. like a ver- they had a whole variety of actors there. Yeah. And they had like an Asian lead too, which was super awesome. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny to to hear that like you know. I think we're the only Asian people making anime board games <laughs> in the West. Um, but I think that also means that like you're doing a good thing, right? You are showing people that, mm-hmm. hey, I can go and make an anime sort of themed board game, have it succeed, and inspire a whole other generation of Asian creators. Yeah, right? hopefully. Because I, I yeah. like my goal, my hope with this episode, and like I certainly learned a lot. Like I have no idea how to approach designing a board game. I I think if I were to do it. I think I would base it around cards. It's um, the easiest way and cheapest way to start. It's sure. the easiest way, but I like beautiful art. Um, but now I know like a couple of things like going into board game design. Like I know I have to think about components. I know I have to find a manufacturer. And I know the components that I want in my game are going to impact, you know, ultimately how many manufacturers I have yeah. to speak to and coordinate with. Well, I have to you'll speak to packaging. just one. But they'll they'll no they'll, they'll coordinate and yeah. that will add to your costs though yes, yes. that you have to think about and then I have to think about like how I want things to be packaged like I have to think about the size of the box if you want to be a good publisher of, at least if you want to be a good publisher right <laughs> the size of the box mm-hmm. is going to impact you know a how people can store it 
right? B, the size of your components, the size of the board and everything like that is, these are things that, you know, like, oh, you know, I'll think about cool mechanics first and you get people who will iterate and have a really complex shit going on. And then they're going to eventually hit a point where like, okay, well, it's going to cost me so much money to make this. I have to go all the way back to the beginning. And I think more so than in tabletop RPGs, designing a board game, you very much have to start thinking about your like end costs at the same time you're thinking about mechanics and everything like that. Yeah, I think a lot of designers learn that pretty quickly as soon as they start pitching to publishers because the publisher yeah. will mention it to them. It's like, hey, this game is really... Like, this is a very simple game. It's a very light game, and you're using very expensive components, and that's not going to be a good fit. Uh, and that's something that they'll learn pretty early on. So uh, I got to ask, because I think this is where most people are going to have their questions. When you're looking for a manufacturer, if you want to make acrylic standees, if you want to um, make, like, charms, stickers, if you want to make, like, small print board games or card games or things like that, where do you go to, like, find these you mentioned alibaba do you Alibaba's just go on definitely Ali- a good start uh for board games there's a couple of established ones out there that's like that everybody knows and even if you go to like a convention like packs and plug there'll be a bunch of publishers there they'll have boots because they want they want to make connections as well uh yeah Panda, i remember and is really big but they're really expensive so i, I tend to stray away from them i remember um, them at my first packs unplugged like where, where we met mm. because um they were handing out samples. They're like the Juno of war game manufacturers. Yeah, they're they like, were like handing they have out a really samples. good Amer- They have a really big American presence, and they'll hold yeah. your hand through everything. They have great customer service, but they're really expensive because of all that. Because yeah, they have we a pay large for. American presence, so they have to pay for their American staff. Uh, Long Pack is another big one. Gameland is another big one. But board game manufacturing, even outside of that, there's a bunch of small ones now that are listed on Alibaba as well. And uh, you just have to, yeah, just have to explore. Um, just, you know, most of these companies will be willing to give you sample kits. Uh, worst comes to worst, they'll ask you to pay for shipping, but they'll yeah. send you a bunch of sample prototypes. Sometimes it'll be free. If, you're, guess... like, if you, like, they know you're, like, actually an established Serious. publisher and, like, you, you might make them money, they'll give you free samples. Uh, not, like, of your game off the bat. No, 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 of, of like, materials. sample product. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, but it's a uh, it, Alibaba is definitely the place to go. It's basically go. it's basically a listing directory for manufacturers in right. China, and it's very I, it's very robust and it's very mature at this point. And I guess the, have the added benefit of speaking Chinese. And yeah, if you speak Chinese, study. it makes things a lot easier. So I I <laughs> definitely have this weird edge that like I'm close to all my manufacturing like because once we start because I, I like you can talk to them via Alibaba. But yeah. we usually move our conversations off. WeChat. WeChat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I can just speak Chinese and we'll send each other memes. Yo, Chinese. WeChat Chinese is like... Chinese culture is like a totally no, different we, game. WeChat <laughs> is like so ahead of the curve, even oh. just when it comes to emojis. Like yeah, WeChat, WeChat emojis are and so emojis, much better. So next level. Love like WeChat so emojis. next level. Like I would, like my partner and I, like I use WeChat a lot when I was like living in China. And like it's how I would communicate with people. And my partner and I got really accustomed to the stickers in WeChat, right? Because <laughs> they're so much better. But like, mm-hmm. come back to North America, nobody else uses it. And we literally were, for like a good two years, just using WeChat just for stickers. 
They have just my, because they were so Facebook good there. Facebook tried really hard to capture that feeling with uh, Facebook Messenger because they know they have a big Chinese audience. But nobody in the West actually uses the Facebook stickers. So I'm like, oh, no, that's bad. No. It's just WeChat is just so much better. Um, and then I see, yeah, obviously, like there's Agatha in the chat talking about Line, but I know like Line, is, like, <laughs> Line's yeah. really, I think, popular. Line's big in Japan, Japan, yeah. Japan and Korea. I, I've never used it personally because um, I know you can like get somebody in your contacts by scanning phones. I see that in anime a lot. Like, <laughs> totally, just watch Wotakoi, like watch it like five oh, times. Yeah, yeah. Reread the entire series. <laughs> I um, wanna I wanna give a shout out going back earlier. I, I was saying yeah, let's do I was, it. we're the only Asians making anime board games. Um I will shout out to Nick Yu. Uh he's the designer. Oh Nick Yu, he did the onslaught. Yeah, Dino, and he's doing great. Adventure Tactics is not anime per se, but it's kind of anime adjacent. I um, remember when Nick was uh showing off like Adventure Tactics early at Breakout Con. Oh yeah. That um, game is great. He he's yeah, like, Nick is like cool. his like Magnus Opus. It's it's such a cool game. I uh, I want to have Nick on the show in 2023 to talk about Onslaught. Nice, because yeah, it's like yo, doing, Asians doing I'm so Asians doing D and D stuff. I think is super cool. And honestly, Onslaught to me is like, oh, it's the third edition D and D miniatures game brought back to life, <laughs> and I'm here for it because I fucking love that game. Um, but that said, we're not here to talk about D&D Onslaught. We are here to sing Nick Yu's <laughs> praises, though, because Nick is a, a great, great, great yeah. human being. And the other shout-out is uh, Marco at Level 99 Games. Level 99 Games, they also make anime games. They're actually the company that got me into board gaming. Uh, but obviously, Brad is very white. He's great. Brad is great. I like him with expression. Uh, hilarious guy. He wears cowboy hats, so that's how white he is. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but he has an Oh, I've seen, I've seen Level 99 because I remember going to Gen Con and seeing Sakura Arms. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They they ported that. Uh, Level 99 Games is great. I love their stuff. They, they're pretty much my favorite board game company because I love their board games. I got some gripes about their lack of inserts, though. Brad, <laughs> stop, stop being goddamn cheap on those uh, non-inserts. Anyway, so they they do the <laughs> they do imports for Asian games too. Then uh, they do a couple of imports, but they start off with original games, and their original games were anime themed, like you know, Bullet, very very anime. You know, mm. BattleCon, pretty anime. Exceed, very anime. But you know, Brad again, he wears cowboy hats. He's great, but he's not Asian. But he has an employee, Marco, uh, Filipino, super fun guy, big anime weeb. He started working for Level 90 Games uh, several years ago. Oh, that's he, cool. Uh, he ended up being the lead uh, lead project uh, uh, for one of the BattleCon expansions. So oh, that's awesome. on anime games as well. There's, so there's an anime game Battle that I wanted to kickstart, <laughs> but I wasn't sure if I would ever get to play it, you know, because you can't find people to play a game with, and that's not uh, challenging yeah, yeah. games. This is one that was just like the aesthetic, the fact that it was a card game. BattleCon's I, real- I love BattleCon. It's my. It's the board game that got me into board games. Battlecon. This and one that. is. It's called Gun and Gun. Gun and Gun's great. Lion Wing Publishing, great guy. Uh, I I don't know if the owner is Asian. I don't think so. His name is like. It just. Robert. It looks. <laughs> Bradley, it looks his name's so Bradley. cool. It looks so cool. And Gun and Gun's great. I, I just got mine. Oh, you got it. Yeah, I already got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I any game that has anime on Kickstarter, I will back it. Oh, I'm I, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't I didn't buy it uh, because I was like oh, I don't know if I'm ever gonna play it. Is it like am I gonna get the chance it's to? It's pretty good. But... It's a solid card door. So Lion Wing, uh, they they localize. So all the games from Lion Wing are localizations from Japanese yeah. designers that like that 
you know, succeeded in Japan and then he localized them into. Then they localize them. I feel like people should be doing that for TTRPGs because there's a yeah. lot of stuff in Asia. He's doing that now. Yeah. He, uh, his current, his current, he, uh, his current uh, Kickstarter is localizing. Yeah, a... Convictor Drive, right? Yeah. 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 Because uh, Japanese are TTRPGs because we've talked about that a lot on the podcast are structured very differently yeah. um, in like how they're written. I it's think a very that... huge culture over there. It's crazy. Yeah. But like the most. If you if anybody in the audience is ever interested in seeing the difference between a Japanese TTRPG and like a Western one, look up Shinobi Gami. Uh, mm. It's like a ninja one. It's like a ninja school one, and it's it's really cool. But the way the book is written is really different. Like the first third of the book is actually an actual play. It's a transcript <laughs> of an actual play. Oh, to, te- to teach you how to play. Interesting. Um, and but that, apparently that's like a thing in Japan. Um, I didn't know that. That's people really cool. consume content. Um, I just know that yeah. they are. They they get. They're not published in the same way because for the the main difference that I noticed off the bat, and I think anybody would notice, is that they're actually just books. They're yeah, not like hardcover. You know, eleven inch like these like you know D and D style like tabletop RPG books. They're just regular like paperback books. I could and, buy Gun and Gun and right now. You should buy Gun and Gun. It's a good game. Or I could, or <laughs> I could pre-order Genshin Tarot. Oh yes, you which I will that. probably you do. do. <laughs> uh, which I will probably do. But that said, we're we're running out of time. Yes. One thing we should do is thank our amazing patrons, the supporters of this show. Um, we have a lot of folks who you know make sure that Asians represent continues to grow. Make sure that Asians represent continues to sort of uplift Asian creators. So there are a lot of folks that you know we have to thank. Thank you. Uh, some of them also like publishers. Like shout out to our guardians, like Brooke, Jeremy, Daisy, Arjun, Justin, uh, Matt, Jay, and Amanda. And then our most honorable patron, the most honorable Metal Weave Games publisher, awesome people. Uh, the most honorable Valorous Games, the only Asians I know making anime TTRPGs uh, in the West. Shout out to Valorous Games and Valor, the heroic role playing system. Uh, Dungeon Glitch slash Matt, super honorable. Uh, I'm curious to see where you will go, Matt, uh, with this whole Twitter thing, or if you'll stay on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> and the most honorable types do Epic Impulse. You're awesome. And Bob C. Uh, thank you, folks, for your support. Really appreciate it. And then, you know, like Brother Ming, thank you for, you know, coming back, returning to Asians Represent. We didn't talk about the magical girl genre. Instead, we talked about Genshin Impact, <laughs> which I guess we talked about Gacha. Um, and I realized that this is the first time I publicly talked about how deeply addicted I was to Princess Connect. That's a pretty, and that's a pretty deep gotcha anime game. That's not, it that's is, not like a surface level. It's not that. That's that. That's not like. A, it's not a casual gotcha. Not, game. I'm not a casual gotcha <laughs> addict. I was like, oh, pretty, yeah. like it's bad. Like phone stand on the desk so I could play Princess Connect. <laughs> like deeply addicted to Princess Connect. And I just replaced it with Genshin Impact. Um, but I feel better about replacing it with Genshin Impact because that means that I can buy Genshin Tarot and not feel like, oh, I'm a fake Genshin fan. No, I'm I'm a hardcore Genshin fan. Genshin also has the best fan merch. There's so, once, you, once you get into Genshin fan merch, it is a rabbit. You can go to Kickstarter right now and search Genshin Impact. Genshin. And there is a I, ton of Geshe fan products. Just, you just go on Etsy too. Like I've got all these posters that I need to replace. I'm like, do I just get Genshin stuff? Yes. But then like 
our place is just going to be full of Genshin shit, and my partner's going to be like, what the fuck? Look, if, like, you, if you go on Kickstarter right now and search Genshin Impact, top three hits, there's a Genshin Impact uh, enamel pen collection, there's a Genshin Impact uh, Cross Eevee Pokemon dress-up collection, there's Genshin Impact vests, okay. uh, there's a Genshin Impact jacket and cardigans Kickstarter. There are oh my so God. many Genshin Impact projects on Kickstarter. Genshin Impact knitted vest, shirts, yeah. and bucket Like hat. I said, no other company is as pro-fan-merch as MiHoYo. They are actively mm. excited that fans make fan-merch. Uh, it's a smart strategy rather than so just smart. like... That's why Genshin rules the world right now in terms of mobile games. It's... I mean, if you, look at, if you look at something else, like the opposite would be like Games Workshop, right? Games Workshop, mm, they it's just like... Very litigious. They, they, yes, very. But then internally, they're also, they take that shotgun approach to licensing and they'll just license Warhammer <laughs> shit for anything. And it's just like terrible Warhammer games, great yeah. Warhammer games. There's just no consistent quality in their licensed products. Let the fans um, take care of it. The fan, the people who love your license the most, will make the best work. You know, I can't do enamel pins because I don't know where to put them. <laughs> but I, I do know what. Of but I do know what I do with a Genshin Impact cardigan. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> um, this is this is a rabbit hole that you're. That's a rabbit hole deep, that I'm gonna in. go down later. But but that said react is coming out of kickstarter soon i think if people are watching this video on the react kickstarter page obviously you've already backed it um and react (laughs) is a huge success um i'm super excited for you uh, because this is you. you know this is like you know fan games are like no joke those are true games those those are true games but doing something completely new is really awesome and I look forward to like seeing React absolutely crush it, and then seeing you eventually expand on React and do more. Fingers crossed. That's Thank the you. goal, right? Yeah, that's the goal. no, I want this to be, I want this to be the reason I finally get to quit my job and go full time. You know, so fingers Heck crossed yeah. that we are a huge success. You know, even though we're one week after the Elden Ring Kickstarter. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but people who actually want good gameplay are gonna go to React. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it, right? baby. So no, I'm like, super hyped for you. you. Like card battlers, you like tactics games. If you played Yu-Gi-Oh or Magic in the past, and you know, and high school, but you don't want to deal with how expensive and ridiculous it is now, this is the game for you. You're really aging us. Yeah. You're really our, aging us. I, that's how it is. Our team is me, Eric, Chris. We're all competitive TCG players. Chris plays competitive T- uh, Yu-Gi-Oh. I'm Masters in Runeterra now, but like we just want something simple and fast, and that is actually deep, and that is, yeah, that you, is React. You're gonna you took it. like the Full Metal Alchemist approach to Runeterra. You sacrifice a part of your wrist <laughs> to, <laughs> yeah. just to make it there. I And I mean, like, look, I can't, I, I literally can't, can't joke about that because I'm like, I've got like a stainless steel cart next to my desk with all of my Magic the <laughs> Gathering stuff. I literally played Magic for like four hours yesterday. Oh, um, so like I get it. I'm honestly super hyped for your success. I, I'm saying success because I know it's going to thrive. Oh, I um, hope so. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really hyped that you know you agreed to do this interview. You shared your knowledge because I, for one, am probably going to DM you a whole bunch of stuff afterwards because I, I want to know. Dude, I want to um, see Asians represent stickers. I, I'm going to get one of those stickers and put it on my game. I, I, I want... <laughs> Asian approved. Approved. Asian approved. <laughs> Definitely not racist. <laughs> totally not racist. An Asian looked at this and said... Yeah. Ah, yeah. Scam. Um, you know, oh, he'd be so fun. No, I feel like that's just a mistake. Where I would, 
my thought in my head was like, you know what? If it'd be hilarious if I went around a con and I made a small batch of Asian approved stickers. I just started, <laughs> I just started, just started shopping and be like, oh, I just kept going. <laughs> oh, I feel like that could go really wrong, but oh, also yeah. like really hilariously viral. I'm, I'm sure if you, I'm sure some publishers would take it seriously. If you put it on them, they'd like share on social media, like, look, guys, we did it. <laughs> He should approve. Yeah. Um, <laughs> See, I told you we have an Asian friend. <laughs> That's me. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I'm super hyped that you came on, shared your knowledge. Thank you. Designing Thank you a board game me, is still scary to me. You guys are like I, a pillar of the Asian community and tabletop. Don't, don't even. Don't even. I just. 100%. I, I hope 100%. We, we need more people doing stuff like this. We need more people sharing their knowledge so that other Asians can go and make their passion projects, can go and make their board game, quit their day job and do this full time, right? You need more people like, and look, there are other shows that do board game stuff. Like shout out to like Senfung, like, like Meeple yeah, Syrup. I'm going to be on Meeple Syrup as well. Let's do oh, it. <laughs> that, that's like, in my mind, Asians represent as like TTRPGs, Asians, Meeple Syrup, Asians, and white people, board games. <laughs> But like Senfung is like, like he's the, he's designed so many games. He's designed so many games. He's like goals that that he is so smart. Um, I'm working on a project with him right now, and uh, I'm just like I don't I I don't feel I don't feel like I belong. Senfung is so cool. (laughs) Um, But anyways, brother Ming, thank you so much for coming on to this episode of Asians Represent. I am I'm hyped you've returned. Let's not wait three years for the next reappearance oh, let's yeah. do this again in the future we need to come um, back. let's talk about anime for an hour <laughs> well here's the thing here's the thing i'll you know what i'll say it now i can <laughs> um we're gonna do it next episode but um i think i've alluded to it in a couple of episodes but we're actually coming up with a full-on just anime show oh yeah, we're gonna do a monthly anime show. Yo, so um, the best way to do an anime podcast is to only talk about anime for your first three episodes, and then never talk about anime again. Yeah, so the <laughs> so the first episode is gonna be really controversial, and it's gonna be like, you want a Chainsaw Man? Kind of meh. Ah! Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay. I love Chainsaw. <laughs> the manga's um, great, but you know what? I'm not gonna the the anime. The 3D animation stands out a little bit too much for my taste. So uh, uh, I I I <laughs> I got controversial. I only recently stopped getting hate on TikTok because I put out like just 30 seconds and I was like, yeah, I just finished reading Chainsaw Man. And I literally just said, if you're curious about Chainsaw Man, don't read the manga if you're hyped because you watch the trailers. <laughs> and then people fucking attack me relentlessly. The manga is really good. I, the I'm manga is really good, it's... but the action is so poorly poorly composed in the manga. Really? I think the manga is a masterclass. It is actually... Not not for action. Not for action in my Mm, mind. It's it's different. It has a bunch of still frames. Still frames. It's like set pieces. Mm -hmm. There are like Mm -hmm. moments, but like the moment-to-moment action is so poorly done, especially in... Spoiler alert, in three, two, one, when Denji is fighting Makima... They're like final fight that that those like two panels are so poorly drawn. It's um, so much more about the surrealism and it, like the weird. That's not like but that's not the, the com- but that's not com- <laughs> the weirdness of the fight is communicated beyond like beyond like the movement. For me, it's the movement. When I look mm. at like really well done action in a manga that is like easy to really follow and it's dynamic and interesting, I'm like Spy Family 
the action in Spy Family is illustrated so well. Or my favorite, Trigun. I think I think I'm gonna have to disagree with you because okay, I, well, I I get where you're coming from. Maybe we should settle this. Ah, yeah, Next bring me on for the we, anime episode. We watch the anime episode talk. or another <laughs> podcast that we also have. We'll settle this because uh, I think this is something that needs to be done. But that said, yeah, we are at time. Definitely running over. I know we could just keep going. <laughs> I know we could just keep going. I'm going to put all of your socials, all the links to all of your stuff in uh, the show notes. It'll be on the YouTube video description. It'll be on the audio show notes. We're going to have show notes. If you are interested in learning more about board games and you want all of this in like written format, got to be a patron. We're going to have show notes there with all of these tips on picking manufacturers, all the hidden costs that I certainly didn't think about, like packaging and like getting a master for a mini and all that stuff. Make sure you check that out on our Patreon. Uh, and of course, follow Brother Ming. Back, react, but re- semicolon act in the most anime way possible yeah, and also like that out pre-order Genshin Tarot because we just found out that it's going to be shipping in March of next year yes I'm very said? confident we'll ship by March very very March confident. of next year and honestly for what you're getting and what it is that's a really reasonable price in my mind it's a lot of art it's a, it's lot, a lot of art 100, 100 bucks for, for what you described is like I'd play I'd pay more for that like you also put a lot of the art on the website already like people yes. can look at the yes. cards which i think is really cool uh i'm hyped for it especially with how you describe the combat it's not what i was expecting and it's exactly what i want um <laughs> but that said i will put all of that in the show notes brother ming thank you for joining me for episode 64 of asians represent there's more but we have i fucked up numbering this is like well <laughs> over episode 100 <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> a new season Season new three. season. season yeah, yeah. that said this is the this is the second last episode of season three we will see you on december 4th i believe for the finale and uh some big announcements but we'll see you folks then 